Strangers and Aliens, episode 113. Interview with Caesar Kalinowski. Welcome to the Strangers and Aliens podcast. Strangers. <laughs> To boldly say what needs to be said. Would you be a stranger or an alien? Or would you be a strange alien? The truth is out there. I am your father's best friend's plumber. Superman. Wonder Woman. Heroes. Villains. Captain Picard versus Captain Kirk. Do you think that there's room in sci-fi for God? The very first thing that God did was that he created something, so we have a creative God. This is Strangers and Aliens Podcast. Hello and welcome to Strangers and Aliens Podcast about faith. Christianity, imagination, sci-fi, spirituality, all that fun, good stuff. I'm Ben Avery, and I am here um, to step out of the way because <laughs> uh, this episode is a special episode um, that Steve McDonald got to do a and got to interview episode. someone. Yeah, special episode of Blossom. <laughs> Joey learns drugs aren't good. Whoa. Uh, that was really sad. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> but this is a special episode, a uh, special interview that, that Steve got to do. And so I'm just going to turn it over to you, Steve, and, and let's, uh, let's let this thing fly. Let's let this thing go. You want to introduce your, your subject, introduce your victim? I had the opportunity uh, to interview a man named Caesar Kalinowski, who produced a couple albums that have been in my record collection for 20 years. And they just happen to be Christian albums, and they happen to be concept albums with sci-fi themes. So it's music that I've been enjoying for 20 years, never been able to uh, talk to this person directly or even email him. I uh, found him uh, late last year, and he was busy doing some stuff, so we uh, postponed it to the beginning of this year, and were able to uh, sit down and talk to him 20 years later about his stuff that I've been living with for 20 years now. And uh, <laughs> so it was a really great in uh, interview. I, I hope you guys stay around and, and listen to all of it. And uh, there might be some fun stuff in there that uh, you're not expecting. So uh, here all we right. go. You're going to roll tape? Roll tape. And, all you know, right. the funny thing is I actually have his, uh, his albums on tape. And then I yeah. tape I tape them into my computer, so they actually you still hear nice. like the tape lag and stuff like that, and, and the the, <laughs> uh, the things that I have on my iTunes, it's, it's awesome. Excellent. All right, so yeah, do it, man. Roll tape. Rolling.
Steve McDonald, alone in my studio, but I am with a person who was instrumental in my growing as a, a Christian and also as a uh, someone who was appreciating music and at the same time was able to uh, put in sci-fi and, and fantasy and that whole stuff. This is uh, Caesar Kalinowski. I'm getting that right, I hope. Perfect. <laughs> And uh, he is a, uh, a musical performer and uh, producer uh, from about 20 years ago, probably earlier than that. He's going to uh, let you know a little bit more about his history. And um, his. Uh, we're going to talk about a couple of his albums today from uh, roughly 20 years ago. And uh, let me throw it over to Caesar so you can uh, introduce yourself a little bit. Yeah, it's good to be with you, Steve. And yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to believe that we're going to be talking about uh, music and and uh, creativity and all those things from like 20 years ago. Yeah. Of course, that dates the heck out of me. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I remain humbled and amazed that uh, it seems that every few months someone will contact me in regards to these particular music projects and um, want to talk a little bit about them. So what the heck? It's fun. I'm grateful to have lived that life and uh, um, like to talk about it with you tonight. Very cool. And you've moved on to other things since then. We'll, we'll uh, touch on that uh, maybe at the end of the show. Um, and also, obviously, if it comes up in the course of the show, we can always uh, hit that too. Um, how did you get into uh, music producing, production, and performing? Well, I, I grew up in the Chicago area. I lived there till about a decade ago. And, um, you know, in high school, started playing music, got into some bands. And then as I kind of adult and moved into trying to figure out what I want to do as a career. That's what I did for a living as I played in, you know, bands in and around the Chicago area and up into Wisconsin because we lived pretty north suburbs there. Mm -hmm. And, um, oh, at around 25 years of age, when my uh, firstborn, my son came into the world, uh, God really got a hold of my heart and uh, my faith, which I'd grown up in a sort of church environment, but not necessarily in a Christian home. And, uh, you know, I'd said the Jesus in my heart prayer a million times, right. but at about 24 or five, kind of living the rock and roll lifestyle, um, God really got a hold of my life, used the birth of my son to do that. And um, I kind of set that down thinking that's what I was being asked to do. And I think looking back now as an old buck, I, I actually was, I had some, I had to get discipled. I had to grow uh, in faith and I had to grow out of some bad habits and, of sin and <laughs> different things. Um, but then... Um, Along the way, um, some an old friend from my past and, and, and uh, also a believer, Scott Wenzel, who had prayed for me in all my lost years, uh, he he and I had reconnected through uh, another mutual friend, Rex Carroll. And um, I had uh, just recently moved on from working at a Harley-Davidson dealership that I had been at since high school uh, to working for Refuge Records, and they had the pure metal label back mm -hmm. then. Yep. And I was able to help them and this little fledgling band out of Waukegan, Illinois, where I lived, um, uh, get uh, signed on Pure Metal. Uh, the band was White Cross. And uh, since we brought them to the label and we had recorded the demos together, we were able to finagle the production slot. So Rex and I got the whopping budget of $5,000 to record <laughs> that first record. Seemed like about a million. Yeah. And... Uh, I remember we went over budget by fifteen hundred. We spent sixty five, and <laughs> Ray Nenow, the president of the label, about yeah, crapped himself. But uh, but, but anyway, that record went on to sell a, a lot of records, and uh, 
So thus my career was born. And instantly I was a record producer, though I wasn't, but I had been in, in and around music and, and, and recording for a long time at that point. But now I had to actually learn my craft. And so off we went, you know, and, um, and started making records. started our own companies. We started our own record label, Intense Records mm -hmm. and Graceland. And uh, yeah, and then moved on to Wonderland and Temple Productions. And gosh, we made a lot of records. <laughs> now, what um, do you, are you just like a, a music fiend and just like all different types of styles, but sort of gravitate to one or what's uh, what, what do you like for music? Well, you know, I kind of grew up and I had a fairly wide uh, musical palette, I think, from my mother. But, um, but I, I definitely had played in rock bands and pretty heavy stuff. And, we, you know, we wrote original material for years and covered everything, you know, heavy. But when all of a sudden uh, we're producing all kinds of really heavy, very fringe, alternative Christian death metal, there's a, there's a term that really still goes together well, Christian <laughs> death metal. But these, you know, guys like Vengeance that became mm -hmm. Vengeance Rising and Deliverance and other bands out of L.A. scene that were, you know, these guys are getting saved out of the scene. They were amazing musicians and performers. But um, myself and uh, Mark Robertson, who had been in a lot of bands uh, at that point, I had kind of come to know him through a band called The Stand that I had produced and was mm -hmm. on our Wonderland Records. Uh, we really fell in love with industrial stuff. And there was the pure early uh, industrial that was just, found sounds like radiators hissing and people hitting pipes on stuff but right. but then all of a sudden there was ministry in nine inch nails and uh yeah our world kind of changed on a dime with that stuff and we started working with some young guys that became zero the band zero nice and they um they taught us a few tricks and some new gear and we took a stab at this mark and i took a stab at this uh of a recreation of uh, found sound and metal and dance all blended together and that, that became the first Under Midnight record. not know what the heck we were doing when we recorded that. It's amazing that it actually got listened to by anybody, but um, I don't know, I still listen to it, it feels like it stands up. 
Void, I think, was a much better record, our second record. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I felt I felt hooked and I felt recreated musically in the sense of uh, wow, the ability to bring anything together into uh, the same palette and, and turn it into music was uh, pretty amazing. Meanwhile, I'm still producing all kinds of other records for different bands at the time. Right. But that became sort of the focus of our happiness and joy. And then, <laughs> and then in 93, God just reached in to bless us. And Void was number three on the Rolling Stone alternative album chart. It's amazing. Um, and, uh, and then the same exact week on the same chart, Generation was number one. So that was a wow. very weird day. And the <laughs> phone rang. Uh, off the hook and my agent was freaking out and wondering you know what was going on and when we were going to embark on a nationwide tour but by that point you know um, the studio was full and the the uh, contracts were signed for lots of things and I had kids and <laughs> so we were grateful for a for a omnipotent sovereign father who can do whatever he wants including give you number one records <laughs> but right. um Sure, sure, never, Steve. It sure never netted out any giant fortunes, but it was fun, you know. That's awesome. That's awesome. and it's still fun listening to this stuff today. Um, so the the industry at the time, you were able to um, go from Refuge Records to to basically putting together your own uh, flock of of talent. Yeah, we did that with Graceland and then Intense Records at the same time. Intense was our 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 metal stuff, our mm-hmm. edgier stuff. And then Graceland was a more alternative, uh, yeah, just all label. We ended up uh, growing those a bit and then selling them to Frontline Records in uh, 89 or 90. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, I remember going through those times and, um, you know, before you had uh, Vengeance and, you know, Mortification came out around the same time, um, Deliverance. Before you had them in Tourniquet, and it, you had like these, these, you know, sort of like the, the new wave of British heavy metal type bands with Saint, uh, Baron Cross, good heavy sounds. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it didn't turn the corner like those, you know, Deliverance and, and uh, Vengeance, those bands did. Uh-huh. What do you think was the, was the impetus for the the not being heavy until you guys came in <laughs> and then after that you know all bets are off the table well you know yeah good, good luck figuring that out exactly <laughs> i mean i can give you i can give you one man's perspective on at least part of the stuff that probably part of the reasons why mm-hmm. um i uh, i came out of the club scene and even as uh christian and as a young record producer young father um i still i still hit the clubs 
And when I would be out in LA for business, I would be at the whiskey and at the Troubadour and I'd be, you know, I'd be out here in bands. And you started to realize that there was a difference between a bunch of Christian kids who were in worship bands on Sunday who were trying to be a metal band and guys who had been in the scene at the highest level who had been gripped by Christ who were now trying to turn that gift around for the kingdom. And their just level of talent and expertise was very, very different. I think there's also, I mean, to talk about some of the British bands and some of the UK bands, there was just a different metal scene over there than what was going on in the States at the right, time. Right. You know, when Motorhead and Lemmy, who was like 100 <laughs> then, were, were sort of the big deal for heaviness, in the States, we had all the big hair bands and the resurgence of the more progressive heavy stuff. And so the band, really, I mean, really, I, I, I think almost to a band that we worked with, they were all really dirty lost guys who got radically saved and just kept playing you know <laughs> and uh i guess that's who i was and who i wanted to hang with and i know like you know even in under midnight and generation with my pal and partner mark robertson uh that was his story you know he'd grown up in la playing in the, the scene and gotten saved and just kept going from there he's still playing full-time for a living cool very cool. So, uh, Under Midnight, uh, the album drops in uh, 92, but Under Midnight, the the, the concept uh, is coming before that. Where where did you get the name? Um, where, when did you decide on the sound that you were looking for? Sure. Um, and uh, why did you pick specifically Blade Runner for the samples? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a question I've been waiting for. Um, there you go. Okay, well, this, the, the sound was, you know, we were, we were kind of looking over the landscape of what we were being kind of freaked out by industrially and musically at the time. And the most exciting stuff we found was Ministry and Nine Inch Nails. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a whole lot of other stuff, really. Um, there was some really crazy underground stuff, but there wasn't a pop nature to it. And Mark and I, Mark Robertson, or uh, D.B. Allen, as right. we went by our monikers, and Frankie, um, we <laughs> we just said, you know, gosh, I, this would be an amazing thing to be able to bring real pop values of song structure, dance bottom end and the industrial thing together and to just shred guitars over the top of it. That'd be really fun to try to do. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's kind of what we went after. I think it took us, you know, a little bit of time to figure that out and kind of figure out the balance for that. Um, so that that's what we shot out after. Um, the name eventually came about. Um, I actually can picture myself sitting in my office at the Sonic Temple, which is where our studios and offices were for Wonderland. And they were in an old Masonic Temple. That's where the, for the studio came from, the, the Sonic <laughs> Temple. 
We just scrubbed the M and the A off the sign. Nice. Um, well, that's what we said, but actually, yeah. But uh, <laughs> that was the idea. Um, and I remember thinking, I really like this band named PM Dawn. <laughs> nice. And I remember thinking, what would be similar vibe to PM and Dawn? You know, well, opposite of Dawn would be Midnight. And uh, I don't know. So Under Midnight just came about and we went, there it is. And then Tom Wolf, who was our graphic artist for almost the whole time we made records, who went on to, I mean, win awards and do Madonna album covers. And he's still like one of the top music designers out there. He just came up with the, the most mind-blowing cover art for that first record. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even believe it. I, I remember seeing it the first time. And I was like, where did you get all this stuff? I'm like, what the freak? And he's like, man, what do you think? And I loved it. I loved the logo. Mm-hmm. My my son, who's highly tattooed these days, has threatened to get an under midnight tattoo still because it's just so badass. Um, but anyway, so that's where the name came from. And um, and then, you know, we began writing and, and, and recording. And we, I don't know exactly why. I think it was just because it wasn't being done, and we decided that we wanted the albums to be a story. We wanted mm-hmm. them to follow a storyline. Um, we felt like we were all gripped by this new thing called the internet that was turning into something called the World Wide Web. Right. And and at the time, Christians were freaking out on that and cloning and uh, all things interactive and um, submersive and virtual reality things. Mm-hmm. And we felt like, oh man, here it comes again. There's a whole new wave. We could tell, I mean, we were young enough still to know that there's a wave coming that's going to change the world. And guess what? Christians will be like 15, 20 years behind the wave. <laughs> and they'll, they'll just curse the darkness, you know, instead of embracing it for the king. And um, so I think we felt like, no, we need, we need to do our little part uh, uh, to sort of have a siren call to wake up this is what's coming, and yet, you know, there's a way to see it. And so we just kind of wrote this storyline and wrote the songs around it. It all, I'll be honest with you, it all came together amazingly fast. I think that first Under Midnight record was written, sequenced, recorded, and mixed all within like four to eight weeks or something. It was crazy. Wow. I mean, That's millions amazing. of hours. We just lived in the studio. <laughs> uh, we own the studios, the label, you know, uh, Temple Productions and... Uh, Wonderland. We owned the studio, so we could. That was the blessing of making records uh, with our label. Is we had unlimited time within a finite amount of time, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but we could do whatever we wanted with it because I owned it. So the Blade Runner thing came from since we knew we wanted to talk about virtual reality and cyber things. We were reading Wired like cover to cover, mm-hmm. and uh, my favorite movie, and I think it was maybe Marx as well, was Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. This is pre Matrix. We just we just went started looking for samples and we just found Blade Runner to be rife with perfect <laughs> unlimited textures and stuff. I'd rather be a killer than a victim. Not an easy man to be. Probably the leader. Where do I come from? Where am I going? How long? I'd rather be a killer than a victim. Not an easy man to be. Probably the leader. Designed to provoke an emotional response. Demonstrate. I want to see it work. Where's the subject? I want to see it work on the person. I want to see a negative before I provide it with positive. What's that going to prove?
be some stuff from uh, Lawnmower Man. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny now because we still love Blade Runner, and probably as a family, or at least my wife and I, we'll we'll queue it up every year or two and watch it. And we've got the you know the latest box set, Gold Plus edition, right. and uh, seven different versions of it. Yeah, 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 it's awesome, right? And and as we as we look through it or watch the movie. We just hear so many samples, and we always just kind of like smile <laughs> and then like sing, sing it out a couple times and point to which song it was from. And of course, Wake Up, Time to Die was the best sample ever. I think we should have called the, the album Wake Up, Time to Die. <laughs> nice. I really do. I, I had a pin. I remember Mark Robertson found me a pin, like a button, you know, mm-hmm. that said Wake Up, Time to Die on it. He just found it somewhere one day, and I was like, did you have this made? And he's like, no, man, I found a wake-up time to die pin. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I think I still have it somewhere. I'm not sure. But. And that's awesome because the you know, wake-up time to die, you're, the character, uh, Johnny, right, he's waking up and it's time for him to die. When, when we wake up in our reality and we realize that you know, we need to repent and put our faith in Christ as our Savior and Lord, it's time for us to die. Yep. So exactly, it was perfect. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, so the the way that you uh, took those samples and other bands had done stuff like that before, but not to the extent that you did. You know, they might put like you know a, a Daffy Duck uh, uh, intro to their song or something. You know, something real quick, and then it goes into the song, or it might have something in the middle where it just drops out and does something quick or whatever. But you know, the, the to hear. All those samples and all those words that you know, repurposed, to me, was sort of mind-blowing. Well, it was, yeah, I mean, it became, it, they were instrumental in, in narrating the storyline. Mm-hmm. And it took, I mean, untold hours to find that stuff. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. <laughs> I, can remember, I can remember my wife, Tina, I would put her on, like, duty. Like, I need you to watch these four movies and grab every, write down the numbers on the VCR and every freaking cool thing you think. And then, <laughs> and then I'll tell you which ones I want, and then I want you to go and record them for I mean, it was like a family project at that point. Wow. You know? She worked for the label, so after the kids would go to bed, you know. <laughs> yeah. But the, it inspired me. I used to, a friend of I, we did a lot of stuff that was just recording and, and uh, you know, looping stuff and everything. One of the songs that we did was called uh, Warriors for Christ. And I watched The Warriors, the old movie. Warriors. Yeah, exactly. Come out to play. That's and my neighborhood now. I'm living <laughs> in Manhattan. Well, that's, that's more like Brooklyn, but yeah. That's scary. I, I just went through that and took, I don't even know, like a half an hour's worth of samples or something out of it and put it all into one song and just repurposed it and, <laughs> and everything. And I'd I mean, like to hear that. Come on. And I actually sampled some of Under Midnight in that song. Well, my attorneys will be calling your yeah. attorneys in the morning. I guess blah, so. blah, blah. It never, it never got radio play, so you, you're not over <laughs> anything. But yeah. Hey, listen, if anybody's going to jail for sampling, for instance, <laughs> I'll be first on the list, I mean, ahead of all the rappers and everything. Now, did you ever get into trouble with the, the sampling? No, and we completely knew that it wasn't kosher, but we thought, like, you know what? If it actually gets that big that uh, someone cares, we'll, we will deal with it then. <laughs> and, and what? We, we never heard from anybody. I'm not saying it's right, kids, <laughs> but <laughs> well, I, in some ways, you can see. I mean, it, it's it, no one has has uh, has put a copyright on the B chord, you know. So yeah. if you if you sample someone playing the B chord, and it just happens to be 
you know, Paul McCartney or something. You know, I mean, it, it's... Well, the laws were a lot fuzzier back in 92 and 3, trust right. me. You know what I mean? And, and you know, even morally, we were like, eh, what? You know, and we, I remember, like, we would actually research and it was like, no, unless you use more than this many seconds mm -hmm. of something, it's considered, you know, just like when you quote a book or something. Right. I don't know, Fair whatever. Use. Yeah, yeah but, but I don't know. I'm sure we just totally bent the heck out of that. Because I can remember grabbing stuff off of, like, Lawnmower Man or, or some virtual reality thing for a game or something it was this long narrative that's talking about uh, a contest you can win right. and it was perfect <laughs> Oh, it's gold. I was like, oh, we would never record that as well. Let's just steal that. <laughs> but so nowadays there are um, like clearing houses where you would, you know, you, you would send your request somewhere and that they would they would be able to, you know, for a fee, uh, help you right. out with that. Right. Um, but back, see, back in the day, though, that was our label. It was distributed through word. Mm -hmm. But they didn't have a clue where we got it. They don't know. Any, they never listen to that stuff. I'm, I'm so convinced that almost nobody at Word Distribution listened to any of the stuff. <laughs> I mean, they're wow. just trying hard to ship out, you know, truckloads of Amy and Michael and mm -hmm. Sandy and they, under midnight or generation. They're like, what? We don't know. I mean, <laughs> all things considered, they did a pretty good job considering they never tried or listened to it. But it was a great way to have some fun and feed our babies in the day so. very cool <laughs> grateful to the word thank you <laughs> thank you tom ramsey <laughs> <laughs> well in uh for instance in cybervision you're talking about um you know being your own god and uh you know you're the creator this is your Nowadays, you have God mode in video games where people mm. can, you know, do as much as the is possible, you know, unlimited lives and things like that. Yep. Um, did you, I mean, were you just throwing stuff together or were you? No, we saw it, it coming. I don't think it took a rocket scientist to figure out uh, that that's where it was going to head because the human heart is the same. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Technology isn't the issue. Just like. The action of eating an apple is not a sin or a piece of fruit. You know, mm -hmm. it's the heart behind it. And right. it always has been, gospel's always about the heart behind the issue. And so we could see, oh my gosh, the minute somebody can put on a suit and then have full contact sex with someone over the internet, they will. <laughs> you know? Yeah. The minute you can play a game that is fully immersive and you can be the creator of your own universe. Therefore, you make the rules and all the power-ups are your choices, mm -hmm. then you win. I, I mean, that's just – that's at the core of the human heart's desire. I mean, think back, Adam and Eve. What did they lack? One thing. They, th think about it. They were created in the image of God. They were in charge of everything on the planet. They were naked <laughs> and unashamed, yeah. meaning babes, you know? Yeah. They, 
they had everything they needed to live life to the fullest. If you could be naked and live in a garden, it was obviously killer temperature, you know? Mm-hmm. They had it all. They had one thing they weren't, and that was they weren't God. They were like God. They were creating his image. They were to go out and bear his image and multiply his image, but they weren't him. And that was the one thing that they thought maybe I could get. So it's not a huge leap to look at any technology, including now. And um, may I don't know. I won't. I don't know if I'll tell you about what the third under midnight record was supposed to be about. But um, it's uh, (laughs) it it's not that far a leap to just see where the human heart always will take technology or choice. You know. Right. So. It, there again, we were trying to be uh, make a commentary on it, be art, be, you know, produce art, but we were also trying to produce a little bit of a wake up call to say, hey, church, you know, family of God, this is where it's going, and we can get ahead of the curve and uh, not just have to s- throw stones at it in twenty years. Right, right. Um, it's interesting though, living it the last twenty years, where you know I've been singing the song in my head and listening to it and everything. And, you know, when you, when you come around to it, all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, you know, how could people have seen this back then? How, I mean, you were, you were into it. You were into it deep. I was, you know, in the uh, pushing a broom in a (laughs) warehouse. Um, So, you know, I, I wasn't thinking about it as much as you were. And to, to think that here we are, you know, 20 years later and someone saw it back then. That's amazing. You know, and it it sort of drives me to be more on guard for things like that, especially for my kids. You know, when they go into uh, one of my, my my son, he's twelve years old. He was he found a game that he he really liked playing, and I said, "What's the name of the game?" He said, uh, "It's um, I forget what he said. I forget the name of the game now." But he sort of mumbled over something, or he said, "It's something blah 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 blah," and I'm like, "Okay." And then when I found out what it was, it was, it was, it had, I think it had the word God in it where, you know, you're sort of being God or, you know, doing some sort of creation thing here. And he didn't want me to think it was bad. It, it, in his eyes, it was probably a really fun game and he didn't want me to, you know, take it away from him because he didn't see anything wrong with it. But sometimes you see things and just the name of them is wrong. So you have Well, to I mean, of, come on, at, at our core, we... Yeah. It, Feels good to be God, man. It's good yeah. to be King. I, you know, I think Steve that art, right? Mm-hmm. Art has always been a commentary, uh, and it can be a commentary on the past. You know, like think about the eons of biblical art and how important they were to a culture, right? Right. right. But then it can also be in the present, i.e., what's going on—a commentary on status quo and or my heart or what I feel about it. And it could art just be like I'm looking at a bowl of fruit and I feel like melancholy today. It's all fair. <laughs> But it can also be prophetic. It can have an aspect of it where it's going, um, and I'm not talking for, for fortune-telling kind of prophecy. I'm right, talking about, right. like, hey, this is what God has said. This is who he is and what he's like. And you can see where this is going. I mean, and that's what the prophets, even in, you know, in the Old Testament did. They said, hey, this is who your father is. This is who dad is. This is who God is. And he's made things this way, and he's called you your own, his own. He's given you an identity, and here's where it's going. You want to repent. You want to turn before heading off the cliff. And uh, and I, I know it feels great. <laughs> it feels great right now to s- plunder the spoils of that nation. And and yet, Dad said, "Leave it. It will only lead you astray." And so, I mean, I think I think in art and as artists, we get to do sort of the the past, present, and future. Uh, representing of what we see, and 
you know, if in any way at all, Steve, if in any way at all we were able to play a prophetic voice in that, that's pretty cool, I think. But it's it's a it's a way that art, I think, speaks to, a, to culture. All right, that's good. That's really good. So, um, all right, let's moving on from the Under Midnight album, um, and you got good feedback from it. You have Void coming next. another story or did you say to yourself hey let's put out an album and it just turned into a story um no it was it was like well what would the continuation of the story and then two years later where was technology right. and culture going you know so no we knew immediately we were going to tell another story um i i kind of uh, 20 years ago i, I kind of remember mark and i sitting around thinking that um that we might not script it as tightly mm-hmm because we felt like the characters in that second story, um, they could have a little more personality and a little more outside interest just beyond the narrow cast of, of our storyline. Mm-hmm. And so songs like Oh Boy, you know, were included <laughs> because we thought, nah, if this guy's born and wired for what he does, he's also probably got a pretty freaky perspective on other things, even his music, you know what I mean? Yeah. So in our minds, it fit in. It's one of my favorite songs ever. Uh, it's the only Cyber Billy song that I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, it's amazing. It's a it's in a glorious mess, and uh, we actually we actually talked about doing whole records of just Cyberbilly stuff after that, because as you know, then our look sort of went from long hair metal band underground glasses to uh, well I don't know if everybody knew this, but then Mark cut his hair into a big tall red pompadour, <laughs> and I saw that for about two seconds and went straight to. Uh, wherever I got my hair done at the time, and I had mine cut into a pompadour and bleached white, and my wife loved it. But it was a freak for my kids because they had never seen Dad without long, really long hair. And so I went from really long curly hair to a bleach blonde pompadour. And uh, 
So we kind of went, we went, we thought what would be the most dynamic thing we could do? Cause we were starting to get ready to, to start gig. We thought, no, we want to do the heaviest thing anybody's ever heard with all these ground up samples, but we want to look like Buddy Holly playing it. That'll be badass. <laughs> so, yeah. That was awesome. Um, um, the no more, uh, Blade Runner samples though on the, on this one, or if they were, there were very few. You went yeah. more towards like a uh, 1950s, 1960s Charlton Heston. You got in there. Um, <laughs> you got uh, Elvis. Burt Lancaster. Burt Lancaster was Burt Lancaster. Yeah. That was um, Elmer Gantry. Elmer Gantry, that's right. Yeah. You got a lot of that feel to it, and I think warming up that way, and then jumping into Oh Boy, that was. It would have been more stark to you know to do cyber samples or to do heavy sci-fi stuff and then to jump into oh boy but warming it up with all those older samples that sort of tenderized you <laughs> as a listener yeah. Yeah. To, uh, to really dig into oh boy you're a as far as just our ability to sort of paint with what with the tools by that point we had you know there's a lot of records made just as players and as a producer between under midnight and void but um we we really started to learn how to use the tools and the sounds and and you know the layer of the whole thing mm -hmm. uh the first record there was myself and uh, a whole bunch of a whole host of guest guitar players by void by the time void came i played all the guitars on it mm -hmm. um layers of stuff just textures and it was it was a very different oral experience and 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 for me not even a comparison though though i really enjoy listening to under midnight still the first record uh void i dig it it's it's one of those weird things as an artist and now i'm an author you, you don't always love your work uh like a month later or a year later <laughs> <laughs> or sometimes as you do it but yeah. i i go back and I listened to it, and I'm like, wow, I really like this record. I really like Void. It's a freaking cool record, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I made a lot of albums in my career, but I don't like them all, you know, like as far as fun, you know, like oh, that's fun to listen to. Mm -hmm. um, and even my own kids, like coming upon it, like they were little when we made those records, but then coming upon it again in their like teens and late teens even and going like, this stuff's freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, that's and, the payoff. You know, 
of course that's awesome when your kids dig your stuff but yeah. um but it really it somehow void jumped ahead of the curve a bit and i even now i'll play it for people and they're like would you make that like five six years ago i'm like no that was like 20 years ago so, you know. <laughs> that's 20. so you know i that's a weird thing and i it's it's weird i guess other people should say that not myself but uh it we've heard it so many times over the years where right. it's like uh, in 10 years into it, like even 10 years after those records were made, people were like, no way this is 10 years old. Yeah. You know, so um, that's kind of fun. Um, it's fun when you hear other bands that seem to sound like your stuff 10 years later. You know, you're like, yeah, yeah. that's cool. You know? Very cool. Um, but some of those bands sold a whole lot more records than we ever did. So <laughs> good on them, you know? <laughs> yeah. Good on them. So by Void, you were doing most of the music. The, uh, the drums probably mostly in, in on computers or sampled. And under Midnight, though, you had uh, Kurt Bachman from Believer. Yeah, I think he did play on some of it. Yep. Okay. Boy, it's a long time ago. Sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're still producing stuff, by the way. That's what's yeah. fantastic. And then later on, of course, on um, Generation, you had... Uh, again, Bruce, Trouble, yeah. Um, so uh, who other who were the other people playing on these albums? Mostly extra guitar players, you know, on the first record. Like I said, by Void, I did, I did the guitars all myself. Mm -hmm. Becky Hemingway who is still out singing and doing shows and cool as ever. She sang backups for us on both records and was just a real, I mean, instant fit. Like, yeah, to the point that I all, I tried so hard to talk her into doing an industrial record where it was her, all her singing. Mm -hmm. This was way before Garbage. And I thought, how awesome would it be to have something as heavy as Under Midnight and dance and pop with all female vocals? Right. How cool. Could you imagine how cool that would be? Well, then, I mean, when Garbage came out, it was like... I, freaking wore that out and, just, <laughs> and so many aspects of it i can play you parts of the first garbage record or the second one the orange one where i go like that's an under midnight lift i swear but you know <laughs> how are you gonna say butch vig stole from under midnight i really right. doubt that so but gosh it was such a cool uh, cool concept but and then she was of course the blonde dancing in the cybervision video mm -hmm. which she hated to do she says i don't dance i don't know how to dance we said well <laughs> Come on, you're the only hot chick we know and who's in the studio today. And, and then the guy drumming was actually in the studio recording. When we did the video, it was after the record was done, but, but he was in the studio with another band. I can't remember. You'd know who it was. It's some metal band. I can't remember. I was producing them. But I said, hey, man, we don't have a drummer, a real drummer. Could you just throw this Under Midnight t-shirt on and sit behind the kit for a few minutes? And So it made it look, yeah. But Cool. Um, everybody was willing to help. I mean, you know, back in those days, I think it's still the same way now. These, you know, these indie labels, it's kind of like all for one, one for all. And anytime you needed to call somebody in to play something, shake something, sing a backup part, whatever, everybody was willing to. And uh, there was there was much more of a familial feel than there was a, a business feel to the whole thing. You know, That's it was awesome. it was family and ministry and nobody was getting rich and we were all trying to just do our thing and help each other do our thing. And um, that, that, that was some of the best part of it. You know, I think that's when it works the best, too. You know, I, I uh, for uh, a while back in the uh, five or ten years ago, I was um, heavily into Christian comic books and um, the whole culture behind them. You have people who are professional comic book creators and they just happen to be Christians. And then you have people who are, you know, doing chicken scratchings on a you know a piece of paper that they ripped in half and folded a couple of times. And they will come together. You know, if, mm. if there's something that's going to happen and everyone wants to be involved in it. You know, people who are, who, are, who are doing the little black and white stick figures and then people who are doing, um, 
you know, the, the graphic novels, they're, they'll come together and, and do stuff together when it's a shared vision. And when you have a shared vision like that musically, you know, that's, that's just a wonderful thing. So speaking of anime, speaking of, of, of graphic novels, how freaking awesome is the CyberVision video that that fan put together that's all animated? Yeah. It, it blew our minds. I was in the Czech Republic <laughs> probably 10, 15 years after the record came out. And one day, I don't know how on YouTube, I came across it. And it had only been out like three months mm -hmm. up on Posted. And here was this most amazing animated video that was perfectly telling the story of uh, Dream Baby, mm -hmm. which is probably one of my top two or three under midnight songs ever. Great song. Um, and uh, I didn't know at first that it was Animatrix recut. Mm -hmm. yep. I just didn't. Then what was amazing about that was Matrix is my favorite movie by that time. Mm -hmm. And so for that video, that, that artist to figure out that, hey, this exactly could tell the story from CyberVision from like 10, 15 years. But I just, <laughs> the whole thing blew my mind. I tried contacting the, that editor and I never could get a hold of him. Oh, wow. So if you happen to be out there, I don't even know your name. I can look it up on YouTube. Like, please get a hold of me. I just want to thank you. Because <laughs> yep. that's the freaking coolest, funnest thing ever. Um, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, when people, I mean, and that's perfect for you because they're repurposing something else visually yeah. the same yeah. way you repurpose. I mean, Dream Baby doesn't have a lot of uh, samples in it, but, you know, the, most of the album does. And just repurposing it for those purposes. Well, it's got samples that are just hidden better. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to listen to it again. There's some very, very obvious uh, musical samples that are lifted on that particular song. But, really? Uh, and I've been called on it, but um, not oh. by the artist himself. And I'll tell you what it is. The, the bongo drum loop that's, mm -hmm. that, that Dream Baby has throughout it, but right. also it ends the song with it, yeah. that's off of uh, a U2 record. Uh -huh. And I happen to live like now a block from Bono here. Literally, I can walk out my front door, look to the left, and see his uh, very large uh, penthouse apartment on the block. But um, you can yell up to him, "Hey, Bono, thanks for the bongos." Yeah, I'm sure he's worried about it. <laughs> So there was all kinds of stuff lifted, but uh, yeah, not in that song. There's not a lot of vocal, like yeah. And that's that's Becky singing. Yeah, yeah, perfectly. Still, right? That is exactly how that part should have been sung. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, having the is, is that her? That's her in the first album, also, right? Playing yeah. the, the female lead. Yeah. Um, and having a female voice, and then you know some songs they're mixed 
it it just added so much to the whole production because you know it, it's sort of like the res band resurrection band where you have a male lead and a female lead and sometimes the male singing the song sometimes the female sometimes both together mm-hmm. and it's almost you 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 if you you feel like you have two different albums and they're put together you know like they're shuffled or something where you get you know it there's just so many different things you can play off of it and having it almost as a conversation you know, well, she's telling her story, and then he's telling his story, and then you get something like Cybervision, which is out. You know, it, it's more of a, a story supporter. You know, this is information you need to get to the next point in the story, and just having that build as a story, it's powerful. Because, like, just today I was at a Bible study, and someone quoted something out of context, and you, you can you can see where she was going with it, but at the same time it's out of context so you sort of have to bring it back into context and some of these songs you know like i'll be i'll be singing you know lie to me you know lie to me lie to me i like it if someone hears me sometimes i think to myself maybe i shouldn't sing this song unless uh, they know the entire album you know, so maybe then I'll, I'll go to, you know, Dream Baby or, 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 or you know, Learn to Fly or having the contact it sort of it, it makes things it, it gives a spotlight on the different things if you're listening to it all in one you know in one sitting or as long as if you know that there's a bigger context so you know when you have the whole story and you can spotlight these different things and you're like his her story his his story his the main story his dr rubio has a song in there you know <laughs> just the way it was put together it, it was it, fairly cinema, cinematic in yeah, our minds you yeah. know and but void you have sort of more of a like a singular voice you know you have the supporting story structure songs like dystopia Mm-hmm. And then you have the more personal songs that he's singing. It, well, it was a much more personal story than the first album was a sort of systemic issue, right? Mm-hmm. And you got Dr. Rubio as a central character in the sense of like someone's got to lead this, you know, evil empire kind of thing. But yeah. but with the second record with Void, you know, you hear you've got this storyline of a person who was born as a clone created for a purpose and it's a struggle to understand uh, do I still have a soul? And even though it was done by human hands, am, am I still created in the image of someone larger than, yeah, that guy with the test tubes? And so that was like we wanted to explore that because see, in the first one, it was virtual reality and cyber issues and the ability to extend yourself digitally. In the second record, it was really about human cloning. Mm-hmm. And what's the issue behind the issue? It's is it right? Is it wrong? Uh, how would you like to be a clone and fight those demons at night? Yeah. <laughs> so that's where we went with it, you know. It was the story behind the story. And, and I guess that's always the more interesting story to me. So. <laughs> cool. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, I can only yeah. imagine being a clone and being told that you're an abomination, that you're wrong, that you're, you shouldn't exist, and coming from people of faith. You know, it would be, it would be like some Christians will demonize other Christians because, you know, you don't believe the same way I do or whatever. But God told Noah, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago, life is in the blood and all life belongs to me. Mm -hmm. But we would. I think I think if there was all of a sudden, imagine if all of a sudden, and it's, it'll happen, uh, human cloning will become illegal eventually mm -hmm. on the planet. There's this, I mean, there's so many movies now, right, obviously about it, but when yeah. Blade Runner was, you know, way before we were. <laughs> but... um. Do androids dream of electric sheep? How right. awesome. You know, what would the church's response be to this whole subset of the culture that is uh, cloned? I'm convinced there'd be both sides of it. There'd be those who had great sympathy and compassion mm -hmm. and say, no, all life belongs to God. And there'd be those that go, nope, they're, they're an abomination. And yeah, and so there again, 20 years ago, to kind of raise that uh, mantle and say, we better start thinking about this from the right perspectives. Uh, otherwise, we're going to fight the wrong battle here. Right. So we have the two Under Midnight albums. And then we have Generation, which same genre of music, uh, slightly different, uh, you know, things here and there. Um, but basically in the same vein, but not technically an Under Midnight album. Yeah, and, and a little bit musically conceived differently. Whereas we conceived... Uh, under Midnight in Our Mind was was metal and dance and pop blended together. Mm -hmm. When we conceived of Generation, we there was a band out at the time called Helmet, and it was very heavy right. and simple, like very simple movements. It was like painting, trying to paint Picassos with like a three-inch brush, you know, like that's all you got. <laughs> and it worked, and we were pretty blown away by it. And the speed, though, of Metallica, you know, at the time, and all that kind of stuff we were hearing. And, and so when it came to Generation, it was like, okay, we're going to paint with a much bigger brush. And so the speed will be more frenetic, and it'll, it'll, it'll be much more like spicy, you know, like hot peppers added or something. But this thing is going to be big chunks of heavy uh, industrial, big-footed kick drums and stuff. Oh, That's why it was perfect to bring in Bruce right. and, and uh, Kurt, Becky's husband, and it was a good good pal in the Chicago area there and played on lots of stuff. We were all friends, and and they were just great, and he did the vocals on much of 
not all of, but much of the generation stuff. But I mean, so did I. And it wasn't a story based thing. We just said, let's do a record where it's not tied to a story because that's like doubly hard to write. Yeah. Yeah, your muse has to strike within a category, <laughs> you know, or a, yeah. or a story piece. Um, mm -hmm. So we said, let's do a record that's not, let's have different vocals, let's have a different sounding guitar, uh, let's make it much broader in stroke, M meaning simpler, but that's harder to write, actually. I think it came out very, very different, though aspects of it, you know, certain songs sounded much more like Under Midnight than others, to me at least, you yeah. know, being, being in both bands. <laughs> so. I, I live in flesh. I Live in um, Flesh could have been an Under Midnight song, yeah. you know? In fact, and, when, when I think about um, Under Midnight, uh, the first album, um, before Void came out, there were other bands coming out, like Mortal, um, Chatterbox, I think, came out around that same time. Um, and they were putting out songs that could have easily been fit into Under Midnight and, you know, broadened it out into, you know, a two-hour production or something like that. It just wouldn't have all been your music, but it would be telling your story. And I thought uh, I Live in Flesh would have been an interesting one for that, too. It sounds like a darker record, too. I mean, the title of it is Brutal Reality. Yeah. And it's more of a, you know, that, that layer, that uh, repetitive, you know, like the grinding. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's meant sound. to wear you down. I mean, I can't listen to it every day. You know, I never could. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I wrote all the songs, and you know, with some friends. And, but I, I, even after it came out, I was like, I ha can't listen to this every day. It's too dark. It's too heavy. It, it'll wear you down. It'll saw your nerves off. So even still, I mean, I think sonically that thing stands up pretty well 20 years later almost, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's heavy. It's a freaking sledgehammer and like a drill going, um, which is so <laughs> cool, you know. And now as an old buck, I, to go back and go like, yeah, man. That was really, I mean, we just decided to go after a certain sound and a statement and make it, you know, and, well, dig it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, and I don't, I don't think it was geared to try to necessarily please anybody. But then, you know, it got picked up and it got distributed outside of Word. So it, it, that thing got broad distribution. It got both the, you know, mainstream and sort of the Christian subculture world distribution. Cool. Yeah. Just because it was so, like, pure in its <laughs> simplicity. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like I think, and I think in any given day, you can take any music style if you want, and if you strip it back down to its core, and you kind of like belch it out there, like extra loud, you'll get some people to notice. <laughs> I think you can do that to this, to this day with anything, you know? Yeah, definitely. But like even songs like uh, "Still You Died" and "Nothing to Give," you know, there's there's still uh, high points to the album where it's not all the pounding down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, I mean, it's like really life, stuff. right? Like parts yeah. of life. It's <laughs> a good point. Um, and also, it's uh, sort of a reply, at least on the 69th track, to uh, to the ministry, um, the song that was out. They they put out a song called Psalm 69, which was tongue-in-cheek and you know, nothing about Psalm 69. Yeah. And of course, you put out, you know, 60 blank tracks and then put out a, a 69th track where you read Psalm 69. Yeah. And it's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. that was tough to pull off technically. 
<laughs> we were like telling the you know the guys who were putting the master together like no seriously we need all these blank tracks <laughs> and when the number shows up on your cd player it needs to say 69 right and only the people that wait around long enough kind of like marvel does now in their movies right. will actually get to hear it and it won't be music but it's beautiful and it's uh it was actually my business partner, uh, Gavin Morkel. That was his voice reading it. He's South African. Mm-hmm. And it was the closest thing to British, which is what we wanted. Right. <laughs> Very yeah, I forgot about that, actually, man. I haven't thought about that in a while. It's been a, quite a long time, and I don't even know if I own a CD player anymore, but or I've actually waited for 69 tracks. Oh, man, did we just mess with people back then, huh? Well, some bands, I don't think you did this, but some bands would actually put pre-information so if you played the entire disc on certain disc players they don't do it nowadays it would count down from like negative two minutes to the beginning of the song and then start but if you just play the song at the beginning of the song it would start at zero if you play hmm. the whole thing you got extra information oh well there you go i don't even know how they did that yeah <laughs> how can you that. have negative i don't know but um okay so generation hey, you know what else i'm just what else I'm just reminded of? Yeah, back in back in the day when uh, we did uh, you know radio and, and magazine interviews for Under Midnight Records, mm-hmm. um, DB and Frankie only and always a hundred percent we did our interviews through the same gear that processed our voices for the record. <laughs> cool. But no one knew it. So like someone like yourself would call up and go like, "Hello," and we go like, "Hello," but it would sound like. Just, just, you know, just razors, right? Just ground up. And they go, like, excuse me? And we're like, yep. They're like, is this Frankie? And I'm like, yep. And then almost never would they ever acknowledge that they were hearing it. That was what was so fun. And, and we would just, like, be peeing our pants. But one time someone said, um, what's, what's wrong with your voice? We're like, what do you mean? Sounds, I mean, have you ever heard us speak? And they're like, well, on the record. I'm like, does it sound normal? <laughs> we just played it off. We never acknowledged it. We never said, hey, we're doing it this way. We just decided because we were alter sort of identities because right. Mark was in these other bands. I was the head of the label. We just decided we would never do an interview without putting it through the gear. So we did every interview in the studio on a speakerphone. That's funny. Through all the same stuff. How cool is that? <laughs> <laughs> and I contemplated actually doing that with you tonight, but I didn't know if you knew that fact and or I don't have the gear to pull it off. So. <laughs> Ah, that would have been cool. <laughs> uh, I, I prefer your actual voice, though. So, <laughs> when you were when you were doing this stuff, were you touring at all with with Under Midnight or Generation? No, no, uh, we we really weren't. Um, Mark was playing in other bands always, and right. he was out gigging. But you know, I was running the label. I had records back to back to back. Um, by that point, I had three kids, um, <laughs> and the best wife ever. So when when Void, you married Generation- my wife. Huh? You married my wife? <laughs> you said best wife ever. I, I can only yeah, assume. Gotcha. Um, so, but when like when gener- when Generation and Void hit Rolling Stone chart, and my agent wanted to put us on the road, mm-hmm. she was like, "You got to do it. You know, you got to go." And but it just was the one of those weird things we had to pray through. And um, not only did it, I would have had to cancel so many record projects, but right. I. So I had those responsibilities. But I also was dad, and I had to pay the bills. And the kind of <laughs> tours you start with, doesn't matter, you know, okay, so you're on the chart. You start like you're the third opening act for like two other metal bands, and you're like in a van, and you don't really get paid. 
you just get to play right and get your name out and try to get you know reviews and you know interviews and i'm like man by that point i was like 33 you know <laughs> wow and i'm like geezer. i looked like i was 20 but i was a total geezer and i was like <laughs> I don't know. And my wife's like, you got to do it. It's your dream. It's like, it was my dream when I was 19, honey. But now I'm just stoked that anybody's listening and uh, that I don't look like a geese, but I love my kids and I got a lot of records on the books I got to make, you know? <laughs> so, there you go. so we never, we never did go out and tour. Wow. And, um, more's the pity. Yeah. It would have been, it would have been a blast. We actually, Generation actually rehearsed to go out on the road. And, but then we never, we never did it. So. It, it would have been – I think it would have been as equally epic because everybody was great players. Everybody came out of the club scene. Everybody had done a million gigs. Mm -hmm. It wasn't hard for us to play the records. You know what I mean? Like it was the conceiving and recording of it that was work. Right. But as far as pulling it off, it wasn't like we were kids. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like trying to figure out how to play our instruments or something. It would have been, it would have been great. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably one of my only regrets. <laughs> <laughs> That's too bad. I don't have many, but And you uh, didn't you didn't play, you know, Cornerstone or any of the anything like nope, that. No, we wow. didn't. I mean, we could have certainly, but now we didn't. Yeah, you know, the other thing was I was so busy promoting our other bands to the likes of Cornerstone and the other festivals right. and you know, gigs that it yeah, there was a little bit of that too. It had been like, okay, so this is taken off. What are the other bands going to think if all of a sudden all of our attention goes to us? Right, right. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it is what it is. But I'm okay. I'm I'm glad to I'm glad that 20 years later someone like yourself would even want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned earlier uh, a per potential third under Midnight album. Can you um, you know maybe uh, tell us what that might have been about? Well, I could, but I probably won't. Um, it is. Uh, Probably I'm most excited about that storyline, and uh, Mark and I have talked about it, but we, you know, with different lives and careers and uh, living in two different cities for the last couple decades, um, never went after it. And now that I'm an author, I mean, I, I plant churches, I travel over the world helping people start missional communities and live out their faith and community. But now that I, I write for much of my, you know, meals, um, it's right. something that I've actually, and I'm not a fictional author right now. But I've actually considered writing this as a novel, like a fiction novel, my, my first crack at that. And uh, so I'm a little reticent to talk about what it is. Okay. Let's just say that it would definitely be the next progression of if you took technology and cloning and you moved it even further into the issue of what's the real issue and what would the ultimate cloning and or question be about and who might be cloned that the world would freak out over. I won't say more than that. Um, you might guess, but anyway. Um, cloning technology. <laughs> Did I guess it? Is it? Uh, you can just... <laughs> not even close, man. Just not your, even close. Nod eh. your head if I was... <laughs> <laughs> All right. I am I'm moving my head, but you can't <laughs> tell because it's just audio. But. Okay, so um, I wanted to also touch on what you've been doing since... Uh, brutal reality. Um, do you still do you still produce? You know what? I don't. Um, I I I kind of stayed near and dear to it for a while while mm -hmm. I began to do other things, and then God called me into more vocational ministry about a decade ago, and um, I was more surprised than even our omnipotent Father was. <laughs> but um, but um, I did when we moved to we moved from the Chicago area out to Tacoma, Washington, to start planning churches, but not. Not like church services. We, we, we start missional communities of people that live 
like a family of missionary servants in their neighborhoods. And then as those communities multiply, we regather them into communities, you know, larger congregations. But, but whilst doing that in Tacoma, um, we hooked up with some wonderful guys, the Ott Brothers and their band, which was called Glimpse. And I actually helped them in the studio and did do a little bit of production. And they came so very close to getting a ginormous deal, which I would have been connected to. And I would have been the most surprised guy in the world to be back in the studio producing. But at least it was their best-selling single, and it was a cool thing. But um, what I've been doing since is is, uh, helping people start these communities of faith that are much closer to the ground, not church services, but, you know, missional communities, and and writing. And uh, oddly enough... um, Though I have other things out in different books and ebooks and equipping pieces, my first big full-length book is coming out February fourth uh, through Zondervan Harper Collins. It's called Transformed, and um, yeah, and just today it hit number six on Kindle on Amazon uh, within my category. You know, which doesn't mean number six in the planet, but right. it, within the category that my book sells in, and it's about our identity and who we've become. Uh, in Christ, what's true of us, even if we never knew it, it's pretty phenomenal who, what we've actually become and, and and what we've been transformed into, even if like our churches never told us. And once you realize that, you get to live out of that identity and life is freaking awesome. And uh, so I live an awesome life. I live in Manhattan right now. Um, I'm helping people do this here and all over the world. I travel. I'm only home about two weeks a month, but I live in Manhattan. I live a block off of Central Park. Like I said, about a block from Bono. You know, a bunch of others. Steve Martin's there, and I, anyway, and so um, we love it. And uh, I, I, once again, just like when we were doing the Under Midnight and, and Generation Records, I feel like the luckiest boy in the world. <laughs> I do, I really do. That's awesome. And, you know what? It will be really cool, man. Is if in twenty years from now, you interview me about Transformed because it was such a pivotal book in the Christian psyche, and it helped people believe what actually happened at the cross, and they didn't have to just like do to be. Uh, so, yeah, in 20 years, man, you are the first guy that gets to end. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right, Steve. It's been a fun time with you, brother. Well, Caesar Kalinowski, uh, thank you very much for uh, spending this time with us. And you can have the last word. Uh, ben usually has the very, very last word. Wow. But it's always the same last word. So I'll save that. Uh, well, if, if, so, if somehow this ends up being enjoyed and or even mildly popular with your uh, readers slash listenership... Um, I would say get the other part of the story from Mark Robertson. You can find him online as well uh, via Facebook, and he is the coolest dude. And he would have a very different perspective, I would guess, and uh, I would love you to hear it. And So he and I stay in touch, but not every day or anything like that. But uh, he's a very cool bro and a very talented person. So that would be my last word. So this will be a potential part one of two. And uh, <laughs> listeners, if this is something that uh, that you want to hear more of and um, you like the story so far and you want to hear the rest of it, or at least another part of it, uh, let us know.
Goodbye. All right, Steve. So, dude, tell me, this is this is crazy. I mean, this would be like me, maybe interviewing I don't know Stephen Lawhead or or <laughs> or at least Jeff Johnson, who's right. a musician that I really like. Who basically I've been listening to his music for twenty years. Uh, <laughs> I've been using it as writing music still to this day. Use that. So I, I, I'm very, very curious, um, as you were communicating with him and as you actually then got to interview him, yep. what's going through your head? How are you feeling about this? Because this is this seems pretty cool to me. It was interesting because I had to keep from geeking out and like getting super technical because I, I knew that one of the things I wanted to do is to sort of let people understand a little bit of where he's coming from, what he did and his stuff that he did and try to get more people to, to like it, but not to, like, get so detailed into it where it's like, you know, hey, the, uh, the, the, the sound effect that you used on the beat on that one song that was, and how you reproduced it and, and how you warped, I mean, I could have I done that all day. It would have been a, you know, 88-hour interview with all the little, you know, I don't know if that would have fit on our server and yeah, I know. <laughs> probably wouldn't have fit on too many people's iPods. But. And that's the thing, it would have been, yeah. been boring for most people. So I really had to sort of strip back the questions to try to get to the relevant stuff. And uh, it, was, it was a good um, exercise for me because when... What, to, to strip back and just stick to relevant? Is... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, as, as Dr. Jace would be the first one to, to yeah, tell yeah. you, I, I have trouble with, uh, you know, sticking with the basics. But, yeah, but you don't do bad with the interviews. Well, thanks. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's mainly lists that, that we have... Uh, the issue but yeah. anyway continue sorry well I, I actually made a list of the the 25 best songs and i have like six or seven uh i uh, ways that they're the best for each right, in that right. space so i'm going to go through that list right now <clears throat> so so steve then um <laughs> let me just ask you this did you just uh, edit out that entire list we just took two hours i'm not the one who edited list. this episode i got lucky so um i actually didn't have to do this one <laughs> Uh, so Steve, uh, let me ask you this then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am going to ask you to keep it down to one answer. So, cause okay. people just listen to the interview. This right. is the closing. We're going to say goodbye in just a moment here, okay. but, um, what is one thing from this interview that you took away as like, that was really cool. That was really interesting or that that was, um, you know, inspiring or touching or, or anything like that. But what was one thing that stuck out to you? And I'm, I'm literally, I'm, I'm I will cut this call off <laughs> after you say that one thing if you try and say something else but just one thing because everyone's already listened to the interview they've already heard it all but I want to hear from you what was one of the coolest things or most interesting things or inspiring things for you from the, from the interview I think probably the most inspiring was the way he took and like from the first album he took uh, lots of stuff from Blade Runner and the second album, he took a lot of you know quotes and things from uh, old movies and stuff, and he repurposed them. And when I put my stuff together, you know, like in the, at the beginning of the, um, the old time radio, the old time radio stuff. Yeah. you know, it says attention, uh, all true believers, and of course that's Marvel Comics, you know, true believers for, in Marvel Comics. But when I'm doing it there, I'm repurposing it and saying attention, all true believers, because I want the Christians to listen to this stuff and to, mm-hmm. you know, to understand it. So I'm repurposing that stuff in this, in the same way that, that Caesar taught me 20 years ago in these albums, repurposing the world for Christ. It just, it, it cracks me up 
it makes me think. It makes me want to do that more. So his repurposing of the secular to create something sacred. Well, Steve, this is so cool that you got to do this. And I'm really glad that it worked out. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad that when you reached out to this guy, uh, to Caesar Kalinowski. Yep, you got it. I got it? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm really glad that, um, yeah, he made himself available because, like I said, that's that's cool. It's something from 20 years ago. Yeah. and I, Kind of come back. Yeah. And that's, that's awesome. There's a lot of people who just sort of like cut that part of their life off and say, you know what? I recorded those albums when I was a kid, <laughs> you know. But he was really cool. Really cool about the whole thing. Impressed. Excellent. All right. Well, any last words? I think you have the last word, don't you? I usually take the last word, yes. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. Well, thank you for listening and Godspeed, everyone. You've been listening to the Strangers and Aliens podcast, hosted by Ben Avery, Steve MacDonald, and Dr. Jace O'Neill. Our music was composed and mixed by Tim Leffel. Please join in the conversation by visiting our website, strangersandaliens.com, where you will find show notes, articles, reviews, and more. You can also email us directly at podcast at strangersandaliens.com or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash strangers. Or you can leave us a voicemail on the Strangers and Aliens hotline. Just call 1-804-37-ALIEN and leave your message. And once again, thanks for listening. podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. It's actually two words. Godspeed, everyone. Oh, sometimes it's two, sometimes it's one. I just, sometimes I'm in that mood, you know? <laughs> sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. <laughs>